This morning, we talked about the Apostle Paul and his dilemma in which he said he found himself between uh, uh, in a strait between two choices. He had such a desire to go on and be with the Lord, but yet he also had a great desire to stay behind and be with those who needed him. So we understand that Paul was no stranger to the Roman penal system. In fact, we learned that he was imprisoned at least twice, and on uh, the first occasion, he was released from prison, and he went and he did work among the people of Crete. He visited that island, and he left Titus there. He left Titus to take care of some problems and to uh, do some things there in Greece on the Mediterranean Sea that needed very much so to be done. And when it came time for him to leave, he left Titus. He left Titus with the work on the island, and he entrusted him with the burden of carrying out those things of which he spoke with him. Now, this great responsibility with which Titus was shouldered was to correct some things that were going on, to uh, fix some situations that needed caring for, and... One of the main things that Paul left for Titus to do was to organize the churches throughout the cities, throughout the island of Crete. That was his responsibility. He was to work among all the people in every city, Paul told him. Now that's a daunting task, isn't it, when we begin to think about it. Uh, the members were being careless in their behavior in some way, and so Titus was tasked with doing something about that, Titus 1 verse 5. Now, we have not been told in the text the population of that island. But today that island is more than 600,000 people. And again, we don't know how many people were numbered there when Titus was doing his work or when Paul was there, but it was a large amount of people. It was a wealthy city. It was a city of great commerce. And so there would have been a large number of people there. So Titus, again, was to work in every single city. And so when we begin to look at this task placed before Titus, I think he may have asked, I certainly asked when we first began to read it, how in the world was he to carry out such a monumental effort? How was one man going to go about doing that? Well, after explaining to him the characteristics and the traits that would qualify men to be part of the eldership within the church, he very plainly spoke to Titus and told him how to carry out this work of organizing and taking care of problems. Titus 2 verse 1, he said, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now our text tonight is going to be taken from Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And there are just a myriad of sermons packed within these 10 verses. But I think it is just a wonderful statement that Paul made. He said, this is what it takes to make a good eldership. This is what it takes to train people up to be godly people. He said, now for you, Titus, you speak sound doctrine. You do the things that I've told you to do. And you do not err from that one way or the other. In fact, he was to preach the truth, wasn't he? And that's the same thing that, that Paul told Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 
And many of the same directions that we read about in Titus was previously spoken of in Timothy. So maybe we look at this at times and we say, well, what was the necessity of the Holy Spirit including into the canon of the New Testament the letter that Paul also wrote to Titus because it's very similar in a whole lot of ways. Well, in this letter to Titus, which is so full and so rich of God's doctrine, it is perhaps the one that gives us the most detail in exactly what an evangelist is to do among the people, how he is to preach and what he is to preach, and and at the same time, how the people are to accept that message. So Paul speaks to both of those things. So not only did Paul command sound doctrine to be taught, which is being commanded from uh, Genesis chapter 1 up through the Revelation and even into today as we continue to study the Bible, he also specifically addressed each member group of the congregations. I think that is so important. Sometimes we look around and some of our members are are overlooked a little bit sometimes. I think our younger members sometimes are overlooked. Our older members are overlooked. And it seems to be that the work normally within almost any congregation falls to just a few people. Well, Paul addressed all of that, didn't he? He addressed every bit of that. He addressed every member group within the church of Christ. And when we look at his proclamation here, he said to speak sound doctrine. Now this word speak means to proclaim the word. That's what Titus was to do. He was to proclaim sound doctrine. He was to proclaim the truth. He was to deliver that and deliver nothing else. The words become in the King James and proper in the New King James indicate things that are fitting for or suitable for and things which are appropriate. Not those things which are not appropriate. Uh, Here's something else I think is very important that we need to keep in mind when we read this passage of Scripture. Paul told Titus to speak those things which are sound doctrine. He didn't say speak those things which become sound doctrine. I think sometimes when people read that, that's what they read into that statement. Speak things that become sound doctrine. He said speak that which is sound doctrine. I think too many people in the world, too many organizations in the world, teach something that in their minds will become sound doctrine. We're studying the the history of the church on Sunday morning. We're talking about how the church was established, how it fell away. We happen to be discussing the Reformation movement. And that whole time, the Catholic Church is putting out directives, putting out decrees that they hoped would turn into sound doctrine. And in their minds, it did. But eventually, the people want that which is true. And the word sound here in our text literally means healthy, means correct, to be of sound mind and body. Or to speak that which is sound doctrine means that which is healthy, that which is correct. Ultimately, correct doctrine will be realized in correct living. So for us to better understand what sound doctrine will do, the title of the sermon tonight is The Result of Sound Doctrine. I want us to begin with Paul's instructions to the first group 
that he addresses. And that is the aged, those who are older members. That's our first point. And as he went about doing that, the first people he spoke to were the men. He spoke to the men because they have been burdened with the task of leadership. And that's a difficult burden to bear at times, but it is one that is necessary in the home and in the church. A man must live according to God's sound doctrine in the home and in the church and in every aspect of life. So why was it necessary for Paul to address to Titus the message given to the mature members of the congregation? Well, first, that's a very important part of our congregation in any congregation, isn't it? You can go to any congregation and the older folks have been there for years and years, have been faithful for years and years. They have a a huge amount of wisdom to share with other people. And they're to be the examples of people who are younger. That's, that's one of the main reasons. Secondly, older folks are a huge part of the world's population. Do you know that by 2050 it has been estimated that there will be over 2 billion people who are 60 years old and above? That's a lot of folks, isn't it? That's a large portion of our population. Now, I don't know what the world's total population is projected to be. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. We've got a little over 7 billion people in the world right now. 2 billion people is a lot of people. That's, a, that's the countries of India and China combined, isn't it? And, and more. And so that's a large part of the population. The aged or the older men are mentioned. Uh, those men to whom Paul was speaking. Now, he's not talking about those elders of which he gave the qualifications to be one. He's just simply talking about mature older men. He's talking about men, whether they're elders or not, will be examples and will be in a leadership role simply because of the wisdom they have. Not that they are an elder or on the eldership, but simply that through their uh, wise and godly living, they can be examples to people who are around. The Greek word used... Uh, indicate the aged are to be these characteristics that Paul describes. They are to be that. Now, there's one thing to present something as if you are something. It's a whole other thing to be that thing, isn't it? Someone uh, appears to be responsible in their work. Well, you find out that they've got someone who works with them or for them and they've been carrying the load. When in reality, that individual is not very responsible. But when someone is responsible, they embody that characteristic. So when Paul begins to talk about what these aged men ought to be, that is who they are as individuals. Someone you can count on to embody those characteristics. And that's extremely important within the church today. Notice what he said. He said they're to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. That's a mouthful. That's a lot of characteristics. That's a huge responsibility for an individual to carry, isn't it? But God never asks us to do things we're not able to do. Now, those are some very specific characteristics and traits. Sober means to be temperate. Always one of the qualifications for a brother who uh, might be an elder one day. Temperate means to 
abstain entirely from wine. Figuratively, it means to be sober in judgment. You don't fly off the handle. You don't make a knee-jerk decision. And you're not careless, which often accompanies youthfulness, doesn't it? People of, of youth are quite careless at times, right? I hear all the time at my house something will happen and, and someone will say, that's why women live longer than men, right? Because maybe of some careless activity. And so that was obviously a trait that was lacking in Crete. So the men needed to be sober. They needed to be temperate. They needed to be patient. They needed to be all of these things. Now grave means to be reverent. It doesn't look good for a, an older man who is supposed to be one to whom we look up to to be frivolous in his lifestyle, does it? That doesn't mean we can't have fun, we can't have a sense of humor, and we can't joke with each other and have a good time. But in every aspect of their life, they just don't demonstrate frivolousy. You know, they are reverent. They, they uh, are dignified, worthy of respect. Someone that the younger men can look up to and follow their example as they follow the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Now this third descriptive is temperate. It means sensible, right? Sensible. And this is also a trait expected of prospective elders. But sensible, having common sense, right? Being able to, to work among people and be among people and... and to be able to demonstrate how a person is supposed to live. It might be might even be someone who you go to to get the answers sometimes, right? We all need that person in our lives. Well, the older men are supposed to feel that. They need to uh, be thoughtful, having learned over the years to, to be wholesome in their thinking and their lifestyles. Again, someone who younger men can look up to. Now, here's what Paul demanded. He demanded soundness in faith, he demanded love, and he demanded patience. Well, that means that older men should be healthy spiritually. Healthy spiritually in those who live godly lives. Now, often we hear uh, three words put together. We hear about faith and love and hope, don't we? But see, instead of hope, Paul used this word patience. Now, an older brother might have high hopes and real expectations of gaining eternal life, but he might have grown a little thin in patience. It might be that the older we get, sometimes we need to be a little more patient, right? What's the 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 example that you, you hear all the time? I hear it on the radio or whatever, and the old grouchy man sitting on the porch yelling at the young people, get off my lawn, right? Get off my lawn. I can recall one time when... Uh, I was up in Dayton, Ohio with my father. They had moved up there when he was about 13 years old, and he came back home. His two brothers stayed, and so we'd go up on a visit periodically. My grandmother finally came back to the south, but but they established themselves up north. And, of course, I grew up on a place where we raised hogs and chickens, and, you know, uh, to not be on someone's grass was just, I, I had no concept of that. I had no concept. So we were riding a bicycle and I rode on the sidewalk and on the part of grass that was on the other side of the sidewalk from this person's uh, house, I rode on that grass to get back into the street. I thought it was great. Boy, all that blacktop. You know, I was used to, to riding on dirt and gravels. Had this blacktop and 
and uh, concrete you could ride on. I thought it was wonderful. Then all of a sudden, this water hose comes out of nowhere and begins to douse my cousin and me. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I was in shock. Get off my grass. I thought, well, that's what grass is for, right? You're supposed to walk on grass. That's how I grew up. But see, sometimes we lose patience in this life, and we need to consider that. How are we going to be examples to younger people if we don't have the patience to interact with them, right? Listen, young people get on older people's nerves. But guess what? Older people get on younger people's nerves as well, right? Those of us who are a little older have been in both spots. So who is supposed to take the lead? The older person. Let's train those younger people to be what they are supposed to be. The older men of the congregation should be always on the lookout how to help someone spiritually, how to help them improve, how to help them defend their faith, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. You know what Paul called that? Love. He called that love. And that's what we're to demonstrate. So Paul first addressed the men in that aged group, and then he turned his attention to the matrons, maybe the most important part of the congregation, the backbone almost of every single congregation are faithful sisters. But they have a great responsibility within the congregation. What were they to do? Just like the older men, they were to train the younger women. How's a woman supposed to learn to be a good wife or a good mother? She needs to be trained to be a good wife and a good mother exactly the same way that young men are trained to be good husbands and good fathers. I tell you, I owe a great debt to a very close friend of mine. I worked with him for almost 20 years, and he taught me more about life than almost anybody I know. He taught me how to be a good husband. He taught me how to be a good father. Now, I'm not saying I've always been that person, but he taught me what a good husband does in different aspects of life. What a good father does in different aspects of life. He was much older than I am. Well, not much older. He might be 20 years older than me. But that's the whole point, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. This great close friend of mine, not a Christian. How much better would it have been if that man had been a Christian, was a Christian, when he was helping me in my formative years, he was a great help. I learned a lot from him. But he was not driving home the most important point, being a faithful Christian. See, that's what the women are to do, right? The older women, they're to train women how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband. Now, that's the keystone of Christianity, right? To be reverent in action and train people how to be what God wants them to be. That's the whole point of reaching out and teaching other people. Someone says, well, uh, you know, I think it's just innate in, in women to be good mothers. It's innate in women to be good wives. Well, it is in, internal in women to have natural affection for their children, right? For their family members. But it, that is a part of everybody. Everybody has natural affection. Uh, how many people growing up had a sorry mother or father and they loved them right to the end? Made excuses for them, right? 
Well, that's called natural affection because we have a tendency to love people who we love, who are members of our families, right? But does that mean that we don't need to be trained on how to be good mothers, how to be good wives, the same as being good fathers and good husbands? Of course it doesn't. One of the things that that uh, young mothers need to be trained in doing is maybe how to rear their children in certain situations. Now, that doesn't mean that older ladies, or older men for that matter, we're just particularly talking about the, the older ladies now, is to go up and offer their uh, guidance to someone who's not interested in their guidance, right? Someone who doesn't uh, care, uh, 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 lead with an iron fist with their children, right? Now, that's not what we're talking about. Have you ever been given advice from someone who really should have been following their own advice? Of course we have. But sometimes women need a little help. They need help in those areas, just the same as men need help. They need to be taken aside. Now, often it's how we deliver the message that makes an impact, right? If we're, if we're ugly toward people and we begin to tell them what a sorry job they're doing, how they're ruining their child, that's not going to be accepted very well. What a person does, because remember, you demonstrate it in love. That's what Paul told the older men. You might take that young lady aside and you might talk to her privately, offer to help her in any way that you can, and, you know, maybe explain to her it's not really good for your six-year-old to be climbing up the pole in the middle of the uh, auditorium while church service is going on, right? Maybe that's not what we need to do. That might not be the best thing, right? If you want to train your child, everybody needs to train their child to be able to sit down and, and to pay attention. And, you know, sometimes we might need to do that in the cry room, right? Sometimes we might need to do that in a cry room. But that doesn't mean we offend someone and run them off because they've got a noisy child. I'll tell you, I love to hear children. I love to hear children. You know what that means? We've got a next generation coming up behind us. Love to hear children. But sometimes we need a little help. They're also not to be given to much wine. Now we need to understand the, the adjectives that describe the men said abstain from wine holy. Now here it says not given to much wine. So obviously, that means a little, a little social drinking alone is okay, right? Well, that's what the world would have us to believe. That's not at all what that indicates. Much is beyond what is acceptable or what is demanded, right? When we look at a time when Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Timothy had a problem. He had a, he had a health ailment. He had some kind of a, a bug or a bacteria in his gut and it needed to be killed out. So Paul said, don't do what you normally do. Don't drink water. That was his habit. Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I believe he's talking about alcoholic wine there. Medicinally, right? Medicinally. And if if uh, Timothy had said, well, I like that pretty good. I'm going to start taking care of my stomach every night before I go to bed. That's much. That's beyond what was prescribed, right? So we're not talking about social drinking here. We are to abstain from alcohol, period. Now, we don't use those things like that in today's medicinal world, do we? We don't use wine or we don't use hard liquor or things like that because we go to the doctor and we get some cough syrup with a little codeine in it and it's a lot more effective than hard liquor. That drug is a lot more effective, isn't it? 
But it's a similar scenario is what we're talking about, right? If I go to the doctor with a cough, regular cough syrup doesn't help me. I have to have something with a little codeine in it. Helps my cough go away, helps me to rest. Now, what if I say, I like that, I'm liking that pretty good. So every night before I go to bed, I'm going to work on that cough. That's much. That's beyond what is prescribed, right? And so through the example of living a clean lifestyle, older ladies train the younger ones to do that same thing. In his explanation of what sound doctrine will do, Paul moved from the aged to the adolescent. We talked about the people who do the teaching, and now he talks about those who are going to do the learning, right? It's very important, a whole other group of people. One of the things which I believe is absent in our culture was absent in Crete as well. The older women were to demonstrate and to train the younger women to be good wives. Okay, and we've talked a little bit about that. But that was their duty. And so if you're going to have someone to train someone, what must you also have? Someone willing to be trained. Right? Willing to be trained. Now, I don't know of anyone who enjoys being rebuked or who, who enjoys being told that, you know, you might not be doing that exactly the right way. But we all need that from time to time, right? And it's a little harder for younger people to be able to accept statements like that. So it has to be gone about the correct way, right? In that culture, the married couple had to learn to love each other. That was simply the culture. And so they needed to be trained by older women. You can learn to love your husband, but that's how love is. You still... Learn to love that person who you marry. Now, in our culture, we do it prior to getting married, don't we? Not so in that culture. But it's the same process. It's the same process. We don't, this love at first sight, that's not true. Infatuation at first sight. Thinking someone's beautiful at first sight. Wanting to get to know that person a little better at first sight. Absolutely, that's all correct, isn't it? But to truly love someone. That's not demonstrated until all the new kind of wears off. All of a sudden, we're faced with reality. That woman or that man I married, obviously, woman if you're a man, man if you're a woman, is not perfect like I thought he or she was. Can you imagine marrying someone who at one time you thought, we might say, hung the moon, and they're not perfect? you got to be kidding me. That's when we learn to love that person, even when sometimes they're not very likable. And that's what love is. And that's what happened in this culture where Titus was living. That was the process after they were married. And so we need to be able to teach that, right? When we think about it, newlyweds are sometimes thoughtless aren't they especially young men can be very thoughtless and so they need to be trained women new wives need to be trained on how to honor their husbands how to guard their love right so that love will not grow cold now when we talk about a woman being in subjection to her husband a woman uh, obeying her husband we need to understand exactly what paul was talking about in ephesians chapter 5 
the person who honors their husband, the wife who honors her husband, is the wife whose husband will give his life for her. That's just kind of the way it's supposed to work, right? If both sides are doing what they're supposed to be doing, the wife will honor and respect her husband, and the husband will love his wife to the point he laid down his life for her. But what if either one or the other is not fulfilling their part of the deal? Can we just load up and, and call it quits? The Christian doesn't do that. Now, we're not talking about if someone is unfaithful in a marriage and then we have that uh, exception to, to the rule. We find that in Matthew 19.9. But we're talking about, and we see it rampant in the world today, people grow tired of one another. They're, they allow their love to grow cold because they haven't guarded it. They haven't guarded their love, right? And so Paul instructed Titus, train these older ladies to be able to teach these younger ladies and train them to take instruction. Train them to take instruction. Be Learn how to be keepers at home. Learn how to manage your household. Now, does that mean you can't work outside the home? Absolutely not. That doesn't. But what that does mean is you still have that responsibility at home in addition to whatever else you're doing, right? And so that's what he's talking about. Uh, there's not a harder job in the world than being a wife and a mother. But just because the, the wife and the mother steps outside of that role for a period of time to work somewhere else for money and then to come home, <clears throat> she still has that responsibility at home. Young wives must learn how to be good mothers, obedient to their husbands. You know, that's a trait that uh, is not highly regarded in the world because it's been misapplied, it's been mischaracterized, right? Uh, the feminist movement is one of the most detrimental things to the family this, this world has ever seen. You don't need the man. You, you're your own woman. And what has happened over the years is people have tried or cultures have tried to turn the woman into the man. That's not what God wanted. Again, listen, we're not saying a woman can't work outside the home, but she is still a woman. She has feminine traits. She has responsibilities the man doesn't have, just as he has responsibilities that, <coughs> excuse me, the woman doesn't have. And it all fits into God's plan, and nobody is being mistreated. Again, if someone loves his wife to the point he will give his life for her, and for his family, she will honor and respect him and be in subjection to him, scripturally speaking. We're not talking about a dictatorship. So he addressed the young women. Well, can't leave out the young men. He told them to be wise. Talked with the young wives. He tells the young men to be wise. Learn. You know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge is a gaining of facts. Wisdom is being able to properly use that information. And sometimes men don't do that very well. But this was a trait that would help them for the balance of their lives if they would learn to be wise. I think there are far too many foolish young men in the world who do not <clears throat> accept the responsibilities placed before them. Go to any large city. And you see a young mother, and she may have several children. They may not even know who their father is. 
may not even know who their father is. And most of the time, you know what we do? We kind of look down on that young woman, rightly so. I mean, she's done something she shouldn't be doing. But what about that young man who's gone off and he's got children by 20 different women? Y'all read in the news a while back, uh, some man finally taken to court. He had tens of children, well, well over 20, almost 30 children, I believe. And so he was ordered to go through a procedure to prevent him from ever fathering another child. And I said, that is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. That's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. If you're not going to be a father and a man, don't produce children. Right? Be wise in what you're doing. Take care of your families. Far too many young men in the world. Wisdom can be learned and it can be taught in many ways. And so Paul wrote more about Titus the example than he did Titus the exhorter, didn't he? Do we want to take instruction from someone that says, do what I say, not what I do? Now, very few people will say that, but they live that, don't they? Isn't that what Jesus said about the Pharisees? Do what they say, just don't do what they do. They're right in what they're teaching in that particular area. They're right, but don't live like they're living. And so we need to be examples. Teaching must be done by words, but also by action. Paul wanted young men to be trained to be good examples. See, it's a circle, right? It's a movement. You don't just have a good example, and then those who are being trained, they pay no attention to it. You know what happens when that, when that takes place? The book of Judges. The book of Judges. And there arose a generation following Joshua, and the elders who uh, served during Joshua's time that knew not God. They do the things that they thought, or did the things they thought were right in their own eyes. So when we lose the trainee from coming up to be the trainer, we get the book of Judges. And I think maybe we're seeing that throughout the world today. Paul wanted young men to be trained to be examples to other people. Young men were to be dignified. Act like you've got some sense, right? Behave. That's what my dad used to tell me. I'd go somewhere. It was that age of running around. You'd go to town and circle around the Dairy Mart two or three times and come home. And, and he said, you know, when you get out in the world, act like you've got some sense. Remember who your daddy is and who your mother is. Remember who you are. Don't get out and act like a fool like everybody else in the world. Don't follow after people that, don't, that do not act dignified. And by no means don't you ever get put in jail. Right? That was always the thing that, that scared us to death. What would you do if you got put in jail? I don't know, but calling my daddy would have been at the bottom of the list. Right? Definitely not going to call him because he had already warned me for years not to do that. Young men need to learn to be reverent, not disrespectful, and not mocking. Conduct toward other people is very important in the Christian lifestyle. And that's what Paul was getting across. Paul talked about the aged, talked about the adolescents, and then he talked about a group of people that we don't have in our culture today. He talked about attendance. What we're talking about are slaves. We're talking about slaves. In ancient times, slavery was very common, very common. But that did not give the slave the out to be dishonorable. In fact, Paul said, you be honorable. 
you be honorable. Paul didn't make a distinction between a Christian slave owner and a non-Christian slave owner. If you're being mistreated, you still behave like Christ would want you to behave. You don't do things to harm your uh, slave owner, the master, right? Don't do that. You don't steal from them. You don't misbehave. You work like you're working for God, right? That's what he expected. How was it that when Christianity began to spread throughout the world that, that slavery went away? How? How was that? Because Christians act differently. They act honorable. They don't act dishonorably. When uh, we read the letter that uh, Paul wrote to Philemon on behalf of his friend uh, Onesimus, he said, look, I'm sending him back. Now you accept him as a brother. Now he did mention that uh, Philemon owed him a great debt. But he didn't do it in a threatening way, right? He said, you accept him as a brother. You don't accept him as a slave. Now, he's going to come back and he's going to take up that position because he ran away and he shouldn't have done that. But you treat him as a brother. Everywhere the gospel went, slavery left. That's what the gospel does. And it was because the Christian slave behaved like Christ would want them to behave. You know, they didn't do things that... uh, were dishonorable. We think of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph didn't act dishonorably toward Potiphar, though he was being mistreated and he was in jail for no reason and was a slave. He didn't take advantage of the opportunity to fornicate with Potiphar's wife. He didn't think, well, Potiphar deserves that. We think about Naaman and the young Israelite maiden who served Naaman's wife. Naaman was a a Syrian uh, captain of the army. He was second in command over the whole nation. And he had leprosy, and the, and the little Israelite girl told her uh, lady she worked for, tell Naaman to go to Samaria. There is a prophet there who can heal your husband. She didn't sit back and think, boy, now he's right in the middle of everything he needs to have. He's not going to live much longer. He has leprosy, and boy, doesn't he deserve it. And she was kidnapped from her home, but she, she wasn't a Christian. Because Christianity hadn't been established, but she was a follower and a believer in God. And she was a faithful Jew. And she was living under that law that God had at that time. They were to live honorably. I think the behavior exhibited by the slaves in Paul's day, we can find an application into our time. What about when we go to work? What about when we go to work? Do we say, boy, I'm not getting paid enough. I've worked with so many people. Who said, you know, we're being so mistreated here. If I can uh, steal something, I'm going to steal it. I'm, or if I can do this, I'm going to do it. If I can uh, uh, get paid not do anything while on the clock, that's what I'm going to do. I worked with a fella one time that was fired because he was going up into the main building. I worked in the body shop kind of behind everybody. We were kind of like the slaves, I think. He would go up into the main building where all the mechanics were. And boy, it was nice. And he stole all the toilet paper and the paper towels he'd get his hands on. No telling how much he stole. Because he felt like he wasn't being appreciated. Well, what he got was fired. And that's what he should have gotten, right? If you can't trust your employee, you don't need him. And what about the Christian employee? That ought to be the best worker anyone could ever hire. Everybody ought to want to hire Christians because of their faithfulness and their being honorable. That's what God expects. Paul also admonished them again to be honest. 
Slaves were tempted to steal. They were tempted to do harm, but they didn't do that. Not the Christian slave. And that's why Christianity helped to defeat slavery. Now that is the result of sound doctrine. And that's what Paul wanted Titus to demonstrate as he lived on the island of Crete. When the words of Christ dwell in the heart of the Christian, Colossians 3.16, he will always have Jesus in the forefront of his mind and he will behave appropriately. That's what Titus was trying to get across and did, I'm sure, to those people in Crete. That person will always choose to do the right thing even when it is not convenient or enjoyable. That's the big thing, isn't it? Christians behave like Christians should behave. When a young person marries, I think that young person ought to be vigilant and and seek out another Christian to marry. Seek out another Christian to marry. It is not sinful to marry a non-Christian, but is it the wisest move a young Christian could make? I don't know that it is. I think it is even more important for older folks to help train our younger people. That sets the momentum of the congregation. Those are the ones who have the respect. Those are the ones who have been through it and know exactly how to respond, and they ought to share that. Brethren, that is the result of sound doctrine. The result of sound doctrine begins with being a Christian, obeying the gospel plan of salvation, believing in Christ that He is who He said He was, John eight twenty four, repenting of past sins, Acts two thirty eight, confessing that He is the Son of God, that He gave His life, and that now He has risen from the grave and reigns over His kingdom to this day. We see that in Acts eight verse thirty seven. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Then being immersed in water so our sins can be washed away. Acts 22, 16. Added to the, to the church. Acts 2, 47. Being a part, being placed into the body of Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And then striving to do exactly what Paul trained Titus to do. Not only to do what Paul trained Titus to do in, in that we are trained to be who we are supposed to be, but we are to train others. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18. He said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and baptize. He wanted people to obey the gospel and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the real training begins, right? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Where did Paul get his message? He got his message from the Spirit who spoke the words of Christ. We are to be trained, willing to be trained, and then willing to train as we mature in this life. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this night, if you've never obeyed the gospel, do that. If you have, you've become unfaithful, come back to God. Get back in the fight with Him. If you need to answer, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.